today on Ag News Daily. Grew up on a farm in Northwest Oklahoma. Um, I'm a passionate communication specialist uh, with a deep-rooted background in agriculture and livestock. I love to travel across the country uh, to compete in state and national level uh, livestock shows. September 7th, 2023, Thursday of the month. Delaney and Tanner here to bring you another great set of headlines and a good conversation today. You ready to go? I'm ready to go, Tanner. We have another hurricane uh, to be developed in the news. The Hurricane Lee is forecasted to rapidly intensify into a powerful Category 4 by this weekend. It's looking to pass on the north side of the Leeward Islands, but its future is beyond uncertain. We've seen a lot of different predictions come about as to the path for the storm, but it looks to hit Bermuda next week and then possibly parts of the northeastern seaboard as it makes its travels. Hurricane Lee is centered more than 900 miles uh, east of the Lesser Antilles. The increasingly warm ocean water and low wind shear is creating a good environment for rapid intensification. This has also been tracked by satellite. The National Hurricane Center forecasts that it will be uh, high-end Category 4 or possibly Category 5 by the end of the weekend. So a lot of areas in uh, the ocean are under warnings. We'll continue to keep an eye on that. This is the 13th storm in 2023, Atlantic hurricane season, that has been uh, projected to get to hurricane status. I was surprised, Delaney. That was more than I had expected. We still see extreme temperatures in the forecast for much of Oklahoma and northern Texas. The National Weather Service is saying 105 to 110 degrees. Of course, heat advisories is what is most of the concern there for those that work outdoors and livestock. We do see air quality alerts being issued for several states, including parts of Colorado, Nebraska, Iowa, and Minnesota here in the Midwest. These alerts will remain in place until 9 a.m. tomorrow. Those that are sensitive to uh, air quality issues, especially with health concerns for children, elderly, and those that are pregnant should remain indoors as the smoke from the Canadian wildfires continue to linger. So a lot, a little bit of news and weather today, Delaney. Yeah, I certainly woke up yesterday morning, Tanner, thinking it had rained, but it was just haze from those Canadian wildfires and northern wildfires. But certainly weather has continued to impact levels on the Mississippi River. Mike Steenhook with the Soybean Transportation Council sent out an update earlier this week looking at water conditions along the Mississippi River as we head into harvest season. He said he was really hoping that by this time we would start to see river levels rise. However, that certainly has not been the state has not been the case and he's concerned that our inland waterway system is not operating from a position of strength as we head into this harvest season. He was hopeful that 2023 would not present a sequel year that we saw in 2022 with lower levels on the Mississippi River, but that appears to be the case yet again. Um, as we head into harvest season, of course, a lot of grain is shipped from the north to the south and vice versa to get grain to where it is needed to be. But unfortunately, Steenhook says that a lot of barges are not running at full capacity and have started to announce volume restrictions on freight that they will load onto vessels due to shallow shipping 
container channels. That's a little bit of a mouthful, but as low water conditions persist, we're likely to see these restrictions, Tanner, become more pronounced on both loading capacity of individual barges as well as the number of barges that can be connected together and get through the Mississippi River barge system, which of course, as we know, is a really outdated and inundated system already, uh, which certainly doesn't help this situation. Just keep that in mind as you head into harvest season, because Tanner, that could certainly impact basis levels that we see along the river and ultimately what farmers are going to get as they sell crops straight off the combine this year. Yeah, it is certainly going to have a large effect. We got some news on a case that we reported on earlier this year. The U.S. District Court for the District of Ohio set November 9th as the hearing date to challenge the motion to dismiss as well as other motions to stay in the J.R. Simplot feedlot operation case. The discharge permit for years within the Grandview, Ohio region was operating without, so therefore the environmental groups have challenged the feedlot. In May 23, the Snake River Waterkeeper filed the Clean Water Act lawsuit against the company in the attempt to stop the feedlot from discharging manure and other waste into the Snake River without the discharge permit. So we will get this case heard later on in November. As we look at broiler placements, they were down slightly year over year. The placements were down 2% for chicks placed for meat production, according to the same week last year, since the full week since the first full week of 2023, placements are back to 6.56 billion. That is little changed from the same time frame a year ago, but notably the first time placements have gone back up to that level since the beginning of the year. Hatcheries and uh, that have eggs in incubators are down 1% year over year and hatchability was at 80.2%, which is on pace for the average. Delaney, pop quiz. What are the three top producing placements for chicks in the United States? What three states? Uh, I think Georgia is probably on that list. Um, Missouri. Kentucky. See, I thought there for a second you were reading the same article that I was because Georgia is the leading state within the nation, but it is followed by Alabama and Arkansas. So if you were reading it, good way to throw me <laughs> off, uh, but great there nonetheless. Nice to see the poultry industry staying pretty steady, slightly down, but good to see the production staying hanging in there. I knew Georgia was a top state. The other ones I really had no idea on. I figured the South, but obviously didn't pick the right states there. Hey, there you go. Well, Tanner, as we reported yesterday on the podcast, the Federal Reserve's beige book was released yesterday, supporting interest rate fears among those in Wall Street that we will see higher interest rates for longer periods of time. As we look at remaining the policy here for the central bank and the expectations there, like I said, we will see higher interest rates for longer periods of time. And uh, they certainly also pointed to potentially the slowing of the economy, Tanner. And the question is, is it slowing enough to get inflation back down to the Federal Reserve's 2% mandate? That question is also being considered by members of the Federal Open Market Committee ahead of their next meeting, which is September 19th and 20th. But Wednesday's Beige Book provided a pretty good overview 
of the economy for these policymakers to study ahead of their next meeting. And it did indicate once again that the current U.S. economic growth is modest with subdued job growth and slowing inflation, which are really the two factors they're trying to fight most heavily, Tanner. But the Fed is probably expected to raise interest rates again, as we reported yesterday. We've got some pretty high percentages for especially the November potential interest rate hike, but likely not going to see one in September. Tanner, curious though to see if you've heard something different being a lender. No, but we have seen a couple of headlines coming around that uh, statisticians are claiming that there is some evidence that the Fed has already beat inflation and that this is just an inflated level of a traditional figure that is outdated. So quite interesting to see how that might build momentum and if those headlines gain any type of traction. But uh, moving on to the next article I've got. John Deere announced its acquisition of Smart Apply. Smart Apply is based in Indianapolis and focused on product development on precision air blast spraying. I always love watching these sprayers on YouTube and social media to see how they can use precision technology in orchards, vineyards, or other tree nurseries. The goal of the company is to reduce overall chemical usage in those industries by 50%, reduce drift up to 90%, and achieve 93% reduction in runoff potentials. So on average, they can also utilize 50% less water, but of course that comes with the overall reduction of 50% of chemicals and the same size. Smart Apply was founded in 2014. At the time of acquisition, the company had 20 full-time employees. Smart Apply's intelligent spray control Delaney uses LIDAR to sense individual trees, vines, and leaves they can then calculate the foliage density and automatically adjust the spray volume and eliminate spraying between trees and vines as they go through the vineyard or orchard. Both John Deere and Smart Apply recognize the importance of high value crops. John Deere is proud to state that they are committed to investing in innovation and technology to best serve those producers, focusing not only on row crops, but also on those with high value crops. So. Uh, cool to see this partnership now in the form of an acquisition. Of course, the system collects data as well that will provide uh, key information for downstream producers, the date and time of spraying, overall spray volumes, type of chemical makeup, tree count, canopy volume, and health of individual trees. So it'll be interesting to see where this technology progresses. But John Deere has made and announced the acquisition of Smart Apply. Tanner, I tell you what, I think that those permanent crop spaces is where we're going to see a lot of investment, especially in the LIDAR and autonomous technology. I've seen a lot of that lately popping up. Yeah, I would agree. And I uh, saw a headline yesterday, didn't get to jump on and share it. Hopefully you did as well. Looking at the differential in exports for agriculture versus imports and uh, those high value crops is what the U.S. tends to import from our trading partners, when, especially when you think of wine and fine fruits and vegetables that are grown, like you said, as high value crops. Absolutely. Well, we got some fresh news here for the carbon pipeline, this time coming out of South Dakota, as regulators have denied a permit for the Navigator CO2 carbon pipeline. Sorry, I buffed that headline there, Tanner. But in a unanimous decision on Wednesday, a three-member South Dakota Public Utilities Commission rejected Navigator CO2's application for a permit 
to construct their Heartland Greenway carbon capture pipeline in South Dakota. The commission unanimously refused this company's request to preempt county pipeline setback ordinances, and the ordinances would mandate minimum distances between pipelines and dwellings, schools, and other places. In public comments during Wednesday's meeting at the state capitol, the commissioner listed a number of reasons why the permit has been denied, including that she described as a failure by the company to adequately disclose carbon dioxide plume modeling, which we know has been a similar issue going on right now and being debated in the Iowa uh, carbon pipeline hearings. Because they neglected to release these dioxide plume models, and provide them in a timely notice to some of the landowners along the proposed route, those stated were the biggest reasons why the application permit application was denied, Tanner. They said the burden of proof is on the applicant, in this case, Navigator CO2, and they certainly did not do a good job um, to discuss and address the burden of proof here. And of course, the biggest concern when you get back to the meat of it, really is safety concerns to ensure that where the pipeline is going, Dana, is not going to impact animals, people, populations, um, and ecosystems around the carbon pipeline. And so those models, like we discussed yesterday on the podcast, really are to show what would happen if a potential breach in the pipeline happened. And Navigator CO2 certainly has not done a great job, according to the commission, of doing that in the state of South Dakota. Yeah, interesting update to share. I'll just combine the last couple of headlines that I've got here. Iowa has now identified populations of dicamba-resistant water hemp. HG4 resistant water hemp populations were previously documented by university researchers in Nebraska, Illinois, and Missouri. It is noticed that Iowa State University Extension is the one who put this report together and has reported two suspected populations in Iowa that were initially tested by Bayer Crop Science in Scott County and in Marshall County. The company states that the testing of these populations was to positively confirm the resistance. Uh, this note comes from one of my favorite field agronomists, Megan Anderson, in central Iowa, the Extension Field Specialist for Iowa State University states here that it's not a cause for panic, but it is an important reality check for farmers that rely heavily on HG4 herbicides or any other individual herbicide group for water hemp control states that diversifying your herbicide management techniques techniques will be uh, exactly what it takes to beat the resistant weeds. We'll head over to Russia and Ukraine, a drone attack caused an explosion within the vicinity of Russia's southern military headquarters yesterday. At least 17 people were killed and 20 others injured in a Russian missile attack on the market in the eastern Ukrainian town of, ooh, I don't know if I could pronounce that, Delaney, Kostininviak. Oh boy, there's lots of letters in that one. <laughs> The U.S. Secretary of State, Anthony Bilkin, has stated that he will be visiting Kiev this week. On Wednesday, he announced $1 billion in fresh U.S. support for Ukraine. Ukraine is slowly gaining ground in its counteroffensive despite difficult fighting, according to the NATO chief, as they stated in his release on Thursday. So that's what I've got for headlines today. I think, Tana, the final headline I have is just a quick update on the sustainable aviation fuel, which is, of course, made from corn-based ethanol. 
According to sources close to the administration, it sounds like they will be delaying their decision about whether or not sustainable aviation fuel will qualify for subsidies under the climate law until at least December. Um, After last year's Inflation Reduction Act, they suggested that sustainable aviation fuel producers could seek tax credits, but they must demonstrate with an approved scientific model that their fuel generates at least 50% less greenhouse gas emissions over its life cycle than petroleum fuel. The question here is whether or not that will in case will in fact be the case and the SAF producers will be able to su- to apply for a tax-based credit. That decision now expected to last until December, although earlier, Tanner, in the year, we were expecting to see a decision on that sometime this month, but it sounds like the administration has largely punted that decision for later this year. So with that, I think I am out of headlines as well, aside from taking a quick look here at where the overnights have traded, Tanner. Yeah, take a look. Well, as we look at December corn, it was down a half a cent in the overnight. We'll open at 4.85 and a quarter. New crop beans were down four and a half pennies after yesterday's move higher to open at 1371 and three quarters. Hard red December wheat down four and three quarters cents at 744 and three quarters. And December spring wheat up a penny at 783 and a half. Livestock yesterday, Tanner, traded mixed on the board as the October live cattle contract added to 75 will open this morning at $1.8270. October feeder cattle up $2.17.5 at $2.56.47. And October lean hogs shed $1.30 yesterday. We'll open here this morning at $81.87.5. Tanner, I'm super excited to turn our conversation over to a voice who is going to start to be a little bit more familiar here on the Ag News Daily podcast. So let's turn it over to our conversation today with Kaylee Imke. Well, Tanner, I hope I set that up a little bit as a teaser for our listeners, but they might have figured it out already on their own. Kaylee Imke is a graduate student at Texas Tech University, just started her master's degree there, and is joining the Ag News Daily team as our newest intern. So Kaylee, welcome so much to the podcast and welcome to the Ag News Daily team. Thanks, Delaney. So Kaylee- I was half oh, I was sorry, half no? expecting her to come on and say, let's go Red Raiders. <laughs> uh, guns up, Tanner, guns up. So Kaylee, for those of our listeners who more than likely don't know you, unless maybe they're a Texas Tech Red Raider themselves and know you through the alumni network there, tell us a little bit about your background and how you wound up at Tech. Yeah, for sure. So uh, like Delaney said, my name is Kaylee Imke, um, and I'm really thrilled to be joining you guys on Ag News Daily. Um, So a little bit about me. Um, I grew up on a farm in Northwest Oklahoma. Um, I'm a passionate communication specialist uh, with a deep rooted background in agriculture and livestock. Um, I love being able to advocate for the ag industry uh, from my experience of growing up on a family farm and my experiences experiences in the show ring. Um, so this has really instilled in me a passion for agriculture. Um, I, I love to travel across the country uh, to compete in state and national level uh, livestock shows. Um, this is something I've done since I was eight years old. Um, and I really enjoy um, 
getting to get out and, you know, meet new people and getting to spend time with my family uh, when I can. So um, like Delaney said, I did um, venture out to West Texas and attend uh, Texas Tech. Um, so I did receive my uh, Bachelor's of Science in Agricultural uh, Communications, um, where I'm currently right now getting my master's degree in Ag Communications, and that's uh, going really well so far. So yeah, I'm excited uh, to be a part of the team. So you hinted at being in the show ring there during your introduction. What types of livestock did you show? Yeah, so a lot of, um, I showed steers. Um, basically, a lot of them were uh, crossbred cattle. Uh, my family actually raises show cattle in uh, Stillwater, Oklahoma. So I try to get up there when I can and help them. Um, they just had, they're currently calving their fall calves right now. Um, so usually every year we have um, sell calves in the Oklahoma youth expo futurity cell so i usually try to get up there and uh, go help them um, wash calves clip calves when i can so i really enjoy it i love that and i think uh being in the show ring just gives you a different level of respect and maturity and responsibility because you have to take care of another living creature kaylee but um tell us a little bit more about your show career do you guys do you still get to do a little showing in the ring at open shows Yes. Yeah, so um, right now, um, since I can't compete in the junior shows, um, that's something I really missed whenever I graduated. I just I felt lost. I didn't know really um, what I wanted to do. And, you know, I asked my dad and I'm like, can I get a heifer and start open showing just, you know, for a hobby on the side? And he's like, yeah, sure. So the guy that I was helping in uh, Lubbock, uh, Dorsey Show Cattle, he actually had a heifer there um, and I went ahead and bought it and I would go out there and work with her every day. Um, and I actually uh, won champion Maine with her at the Tulsa State Fair um, last year in October. So uh, that was really neat. Um, and aside from that, usually uh, my family, uh, we raise our own cattle. Um, so yeah, it's really neat. I really enjoy it. Yeah, it is such a unique way for an individual to grow up. Obviously, we know agriculture is in the minority of the population to begin with. And then you look at the subsects of those different areas within ag and it groups get smaller and smaller. So the family gets tighter and tighter. Have you ever been to the Midwest? Have you had the opportunity to see corn country up here in the Corn Belt? So I've actually never made it up to Iowa um, the only shows that I've actually got up there and competed at was um, Louisville, Denver, um, Kansas City. So those are the top three that um, I really enjoy going to. Um, but where you guys are, I'd love to come up there um, and um, see how everything is, how, how they do everything. Um, so, yeah. Tanner, we'll have to get her up here sometime to experience the Midwest. That's right. So yeah, I'd love to. in Texas and Oklahoma. <laughs> but Kaylee, as you look at some of your other interests outside of the show cattle industry, you mentioned obviously you're well into the communications space now with starting your master's degree in the ag comm field. What about communications? Like what area is it that you really thrive and feel like you love the most? Yeah, so uh, right now um, I do a little bit of my own marketing on the side. Um, basically helping um, some people, you know, 
build their brands. Um, I'm helping a guy up in Washington right now with his Hereford operation um, and just really, you know, growing people's brands and helping those um, those people who, you know, are in the livestock and, you know, some of those older farmers that um, don't really know, you know, how to operate computers and all that. So it really makes me feel good if I can, you know, step in and um, help um, somebody, you know, make a website or um, do business cards, just anything like that. I, I really enjoy doing that. Uh, social media, um, I love getting to help them, um, you know, post on there for their business. So, you know, really growing their brand and helping them where I can. Um, that, that's something I really enjoy. Yeah, I think one of the one of the things that hopefully we can share and gain some experience for you on the podcast is just the ability to talk with and get to learn from so many different aspects in agriculture. As you look to continue your education, uh, is there a focused position or something that you've got uh, a high goal set for what type of job you want to have when you get wrapped up? I mean, right now, um, like I said, I'm just trying to finish my master's um, and then really go from there. I know I definitely want a job in agriculture. I mean, there's no question to that. Um, but right now, um, looking forward, you know, I just kind of want to advance my marketing skills um, and work with Delaney and, um, you know, just get more expertise from her and um, really be more of a um, advanced marketing expert by the time I graduate. So just kind of taking it slow in the meantime and going from there. Tanner, did you hear that? She wants to learn from me, not you. <laughs> no, hey, I don't think that's a bad choice. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do want to ask though, as you are going to be joining us and, and helping out a lot, what's the scariest part? What are you most afraid of as you launch into this new opportunity? You know, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm really not scared of anything. I mean, I'm always open to learn new things. And I mean, I'm a person who will ask questions. And if I, if I don't know the answer and I mean, Delaney's been great to work with so far. So um, I feel very comfortable uh, doing this and I'm really excited to see where it goes. Yeah. We're excited to have you and have you dig in and learn more about the podcast and use those questions and that questioning skill set you mentioned there uh, to ask good questions to the interviewees that we bring on to the podcast. So Kaylee, the final question I have for you is just, you know, you're in grad school right now. So you're hearing the latest and greatest about where the ag communications space and the marketing space is headed what do you think is coming down the pipeline for the way that the communication and ad communication spaces ran? Yeah, so definitely um, it's something very important. Uh, like I said, I'm a very strong advocate for um, advocating ag agriculture. Um, you know, it's it's something that needs to be out there. I mean, with things happening in this world today, it's it's something that definitely needs to be communicated to people. Um, and I, I just, I want to be a part of that. I mean, it's, it's something, like I said, it needs to be, um, communicated and, um, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm excited. Awesome. Well, we're excited to have you here on the podcast, Kaylee M. Key joining us as the Agnes Daily intern here. Kaylee, thanks so much for joining. Yep. Thank you guys. Well, there you go, Delaney. It's exciting to always have new team members to build this team out and uh, ultimately lighten our load, right? Uh, but it should just increase the quality of the content. 
Yeah, for those of our listeners who have been concerned at the editing quality lately, that's because I've been kind of doing it here in the short term. So it'll be nice Tanner, <laughs> to have some somebody else that's a professional helping us with that again. Absolutely. Listeners, stick with us. We'll be back again tomorrow. Don't go too far. But for today, what do you say? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go. 